About a year ago now, I found myself almost alone in the National Archives building in Washington, D.C. I say almost alone uh, because there were two other individuals in the space I was inhabiting at that moment. I had been invited from a reception taking place down in the basement of the archives up to the massive rotunda. It was my first visit to this place. I really knew very little about the National Archives. They did a mic check with me because I was going to be speaking briefly to the audience there. And after the mic check was over, my attendant left me alone. I say almost alone in that particular space. Because across the marble floor of the rotunda, there were these two other individuals. They were the ones that you see in this particular photograph. They were guards. They were standing beneath American flags. And they were posted there, I guess, because there was something important in this place. And being the, um, the chronic extrovert that I am, seeing other people there, I immediately began to make my way across the floor, but got distracted by the, the, the light that was coming out of these, these cases along the flanks of that particular room. And um, I was drawn to one particular case, and it, just simply because it, in the darkness of that overall environment, it just seemed to glow almost as if there was some kind of holy object inside of the case. And I came up to the uh, belly up to it and peered down inside and realized that indeed there was something sacred right there in that case. It was a very, very old parchment. And on that parchment, someone in uh, a bold uh, cursive hand had written down the following declaration among other words. And this is what I read there. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And chills began to run up and down my spine as I realized I was looking at the actual Declaration of Independence. And what struck me then as it hits me to this day now with the same kind of of impact is that in less than the length of a modern day tweet, in fewer than 140 characters, I was meeting here more transformative insight, more history-shaping vision than, than I typically encounter in an hour-long political speech or an entire evening of watching news programs or in maybe an entire year of reality television. All contained in these few words. And so it struck me as, as, as I stood there over that case and then wandered over to the next one where the United States Constitution was housed and then the one after that where the Bill of Rights was housed that there is a word for what I was encountering in all of these glowing pages. There's a term for the kind of deep, balanced, thinking about life that I was meeting in that place. There's a term for the sort of prudent, pointed, uh, powerful speech, the piercing vision of the possible for humanity that makes the journey so much better for those who actually put into practice the kind of, of ideas that are put on those pages. And the word that, that seemed to sum it all up was wisdom. I was seeing wisdom the wisdom of the founders 
speaking out from the pages of those original documents. Many, many years ago, God offered to another political leader, um, a man by the name of Solomon, the uh, king of the nation of Israel, an opportunity to have a wish granted to him. And God basically said to Solomon, I'm going to give you anything that you ask for, so ask me. And, and Solomon could have asked for a long life. He could have requested more riches, uh, increased power, greater fame, more land for his nation. It was one of those genie-in-the-bottle moments for Solomon. And this is how Solomon answered this moment of opportunity. I quote, 1 Kings verse, chapter 3, verse 9, Give your servant a discerning heart. That's what I want. Give me a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. In, in other words, give me the ability to see the way that leads to life. Give me the capacity to distinguish between the different paths that are out there to know which one is right, which one leads to health and hope and flourishing, that I may walk in that way and I may lead my people and others who are watching me down that particular road. This is the request that Solomon makes and God grants him that wish. Solomon goes on to become the, uh, the, the archetype in a sense of the wise man. He He's renowned for his ability to sort through complex issues and to find the way that, that led to health and to hope. And not as a, an insignificant side note, it, it turns out that because Solomon makes that his primary priority in life, his greatest pursuit in life, God actually adds to him as well the other blessings that he might have asked for. And you can read more about that in 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. Fortunately for us, just as the National Archives preserve for us the wisdom of the founders of our nation, so the book of Proverbs preserves for us the wisdom of Solomon. And, and what we're going to be doing this month is essentially walking over to the glowing case ourselves and looking deeply into it in order to mine the extraordinary treasure of that wisdom that we find there. We're going to be looking at five major themes that uh, thread their way through the book of Proverbs, and we're going to think about how we apply these to our lives today, our individual life, perhaps our nation's life, and I think you're going to find this to be one of the most provocative and inspiring series we've done. I encourage you to, to fight through the parking lot and uh, invite friends and others to come join us. Today, I just want to start out by introducing, unpacking, in a sense, the, what is the largest and the general theme of the book itself, which is the theme of, of wisdom. It, I want to invite, I guess, us to think about three particular questions we bring to that topic, and I'm going to be aided by some of the great reflections that Tim Keller, a uh, pastor in New York, offers on the subject. So the first question I want to ask is, why is wisdom so important? And then secondly, what is wisdom, actually? And thirdly, how do we get it? How do we get more of wisdom in our lives? 
So to get at this at the start, I want to invite you to go back with me for just a moment to those words that I read a moment ago from uh, Proverbs chapter, chapter 8, the early verses there. Wisdom personified is speaking with us and says this, choose my instruction instead of silver. The, the implication here is that you've got lots of choices in life about where you invest yourself, what you put your greatest hope in, where you think your security lies, what will constitute the wealth of your life. Choose my instruction, says wisdom, in, instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire, nothing you desire can compare with her. Really? Really? Wisdom is more valuable than material wealth. There is nothing I could imagine desiring that would be able to compare with the value of wisdom. Is, is that really true? Why is wisdom so important? Well, some years ago, I got a glimpse into an answer to this question, um, and maybe you've had your own viewport into a response to that question yourself. Mine came through the experience of living in a Southern California community that was, uh, at that time, the number two wealthiest community in America. In other words, per capita, uh, it, it had the greatest affluence, uh, second, I think, maybe to Greenwich or someplace like that. Uh, and uh, it was a, an incredibly eye-opening uh, opportunity. It's surrounded by palatial estates and celebrities and athletes and, and uh, tycoons of, of major organizations and businesses we all know the names of. Um, I discovered something that was really surprising to me. I, I found that you can actually never have enough riches, fame, good looks, plastic surgery, go down the list. You can never have enough of these various things that people are always chasing after uh, to arrange your life for more than about 10 minutes in the way that you want it. I mean, you can get it there for just a nanosecond or two. Things just seem to line up perfectly for a while, and then they go to pieces again. And then you're left trying to find the way again. And I saw this repeated in so many stories in the people of that uh, community that I just I came to realize that it's the absolute truth about life. You can have lots of charisma. You can have cash. You can have a, a, a totally cut body. Uh, and yet, you can still make a huge mess of your life. And many, many, many people do. And conversely, you can have none of those valuables that the world is always peddling our direction and actually have a life that's quite beautiful at least a, a good percentage of the time. A and the difference between those outcomes uh, boils down to whether or not you have got wisdom, whether you have the wisdom to respond to your circumstances uh, wisely and, and well. Now, now, we tend to equate wisdom in our time with either virtue or brain power. Hang with me on this, because I want to unpack this first. We have this tendency to think that if we were just more virtuous or a whole lot smarter, then, then we'd be wiser. Uh, we'd be uh, much more um, enlightened people than we are today. And I, I understand that confusion, because uh, in a very real sense, um, wisdom is related to moral goodness. 
and it is related to intelligence, but it is just not identical to either of those things. Let me just try and unpack that for us with an illustration. You may have the morally good desire to help a friend who you know is drinking too much. Okay, some of us are in that spot right now or we've seen this movie. Uh, you have this virtuous desire to help somebody who's obviously got a problem, uh, but because you lack a deep experience of the complexities of this condition, or you're just not sure what to do when, you actually become a part of the problem. You become a codependent in the problem itself. You have a very good heart, but you're not able to actually unravel this thing. You may even help to make it an even bigger mess than it was before, and the issue there for you is, is a lack of wisdom. Uh, take it from another angle entirely. You might be the most intelligent person in that alcoholic's life. Uh, you understand the biochemistry of alcoholism uh, perfectly. Uh, you know all of what is being done to this person's brain and to their body through their overdrinking. but you might still not know whether when they go on this particular binge, this holiday weekend, you should step in and try and protect them from it or let them experience the consequences of it. And you just don't know for all that you do know, what to do there. Without wisdom, very good and very smart people can mess things up. And we can think of lots of other illustrations that I'm sure would uh, help us see that. And this is really important to say, I think, particularly at this time in, our, in the life of our culture because there are a lot of people out there uh, advancing the idea that moral goodness or greater intelligence and education are the solutions to, the, to, to what ails us in our time. That, that if, we, if we just had a whole lot more moral goodness going on in our society, uh, and you hear moralists who, from many different uh, camps who will sp speak this way, um, and then you'll hear people in the scientific secularist community saying, you know, it all amounts to, to getting more education, uh, more facts, uh, more science into people's hands. Would it be bad if we became more moral? No, no, of course not. It would not be a bad thing. In fact, that's a lot of what we champion through the life of the local church. Uh, we might disagree on definitions of morality, uh, which, which moral principles are the most significant and rank uh, differently. It, it would take wisdom to determine which of them to put emphasis on. Uh, would it be a terrible thing if we became more educated, more intelligent uh, as an American people? Absolutely not. It may be tricky to discern which disciplines deserve our greatest attention. That would take wisdom to, to, to discern. Um, but to paraphrase Tim Keller, the, the challenge that faces us is that so many of the uh, key decisions that face us in our day-to-day our -day lives are situations where just having the moral rules and the intellectual facts is not enough to really solve the problem. Uh, and think about this in your, in, in your own life, the kinds of questions that are really pressing ones uh, for you. You know, I've just been through this. A lot of us in this room maybe have, are, are going through this. You know, which school should I go to? And, and, and what should I major in? 
Uh, or um, should I date that particular person? Uh, sh- should we get married? Is this the right time to have children? Should we break up? Uh, people are, are wondering these kinds of things all the time in day-to-day life. Should I, should I leave this job? Or, or should I hang in there believing it's going to get better? Should I confront this person about this issue? Or should I be more patient and, and more forgiving? Should I take this leap? Or, or should I play it safe? It is so easy, no matter how good or bright you are, to, to make the wrong move in these circumstances. So, so what do we need in these circumstances? Hashtag wisdom. We need wisdom. So what is wisdom? I mean, when you boil it all down, what, what really is it? How would we even know what we're looking for? So let's go back to, to the verses we were reading in Proverbs chapter 8 and, and, and go on down to verse 12 and pick up the story there. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. Now, the underlying Hebrew in, in that particular verse suggests an ability to notice little details and distinctions. This idea of discretion and prudence carries with it in the original language this ability to, to spot the little stuff going on uh, around one. It's like one of, the way one of those experienced crime scene, how many of you ever watched CSI shows? Okay, you know that. So you know how some of these people are just amazing at seeing the little details that everybody else has missed. And, and it seems to start to form a picture for them. So, so one of the key dimensions of wisdom is this ability to see how things really are at a level that, that the common mind uh, is somehow blind to. And then we go down a little further in the scriptures and wisdom says this, counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight. And the Hebrew word there that is translated as insight is the Hebrew word bana. And and bana carries this sense of knowing how things truly happen. To to have insight is not just to see things as they are. It's to have some sense of knowing how they got to be the way they are, of how things really work. That's what what insight is. It's understanding of of the machinery of things or the dynamics and the interplay of things. So in the CSI illustration, our hero in the story um, is presented with this scarf that was found at the scene of the murder in the back alley. And the scarf has got a stain on it and the stain is some form of alcohol. And, and the, the, the investigator happens to know from having spent some time around the neighborhood that there is this exotic drink that gets served at this bar down the street that has that kind of consistency to it and that that particular drink is only served when it's somebody's birthday. And that particular bar is renowned as a place where lots of commodity traders hang out. The CSI investigator sort of knows how things work in that neighborhood. Um, 
And then finally, in the verses that follow that, wisdom declares, I quote, by me kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. Uh, By me princes govern and nobles all who rule on the earth. In other words, it's by wisdom that these authorities know the things that should be done, what the way of justice looks like. And so, back to the CSI example, the CSI uh, person goes uh, into a trading office in that neighborhood and, and finds out who was celebrating a birthday on the night of that murder and, and invites the, the spouse uh, into the encounter and in the conversation with a commodities trader uh, asks, do you recognize this scarf? that your wife gave to you for your birthday. And the traitor crumbles and confesses um, the truth. So let me try and put all of this together and, and supply a definition of the term wisdom. Wisdom is the capacity to see how things really are, to sense how stuff happens or works, and to know what to do in response to all of that. Now, you've met people who are wise from time to time. Some of you in this room are wise. Um, you, you, you know that grandmother who, in the midst of the family conflict, somehow knows what to say to bring people back together again. Some of you have grandmothers that probably said the wrong thing, but you know those grandmothers that, that just know what to say. You've seen the athlete who in the heat of the moment when everybody else is losing their cool and it's all swirling, just somehow sees the path and knows what to do and where to go to to, to gain the goal, to win the victory. You you know about those uncanny investors, those brilliant artists, those penetrating counselors who, who just seem to take so much of the environment in, in an uncommon kind of way, and to sense what all the dynamics and the possibilities that environment are, and then to know how to just deliver it in a direction that's creative and produces a wonderful result. I just love how Gerhard von Rad, one of the the world's greatest authorities on the wisdom literature of the Old Testament uh, defines it. He says, wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Wisdom is becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Would you like to be competent with regard to the realities of life? Raise your hand if you would like to be as competent as it's possible to be with regard to those realities. So would I. So would I. So at the end of Proverbs 8, wisdom says this. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway, for those who find me find life. And the sense of that final phrase is that Seeking wisdom or finding wisdom is the secret to, to, the, to making the most of life, to the greatest kind of life. And so the question has to come up for us, how do we do that? How, how do we get wisdom? <laughs> how do we cultivate more wisdom in our own 
uh, life and our own experience. So let me just close by suggesting a few practical uh, steps we could take to do this. First, if you want to be even wiser than you are, then humble yourself further. Humble yourself further. One of the most famous verses from Proverbs, probably the one you may even know best, uh, reads like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now the phrase that gets rendered, the fear of the Lord, essentially means humility before one who is vastly greater. That's, that's what the fear of the Lord means. It's essentially, it's about humility before the greatness of God. So if you want to be wiser, then, then step number one is to admit that you're just not yet close, really, to the one who is wisdom personified. Uh, you and I are probably fairly morally good on a certain scale. We may be reasonably smart on a certain scale, but compared to God, we're not so good or so smart, uh, much less able to fully see things as they are, to understand how they work, and to know what to do in all of the different life circumstances we would like to be able to know what to do. Can we admit that? Hello? Can we admit that? Yeah, yeah, I think we can admit that. Which I think is why our marriages and, and our parenting and our workplaces and our politics are, are phenomenal environments, opportunities for us to, to humbly commit ourselves to listening and watching and waiting uh, even more than maybe has been our custom. Uh, if we really want uh, greater wisdom, we need to listen, to watch, to wait more frequently. Secondly, to grow in wisdom, it helps to process life with others. Uh, originally, the book of Proverbs, you might be curious to know, was a book that was read in community. It was a study guide that people would read aloud when they were with a group of others, sometimes their family, sometimes actually in a school setting. Uh, it was a place where people thought about um, this wisdom with others. And, and, and the reason why this was a really good idea was because the book of Proverbs is actually quite complicated. Uh, the first uh, chapters, the uh, first nine chapters are essentially an argument for uh, the value of wisdom. It's a motivational talk, trying to ramp you up, get you excited about pursuing wisdom. And then you get into chapters 10 through 15, and you are in the meaty stuff. You're, you're getting all of these practical principles and these practices that you can use in your life. I mean, it's just so rich. We're going to be looking at a bunch of those texts in the weeks to come. And then you get out to chapter 16 and following, and suddenly you're getting confused because back in the middle part of Proverbs, you were told this about wealth and this about work and this about parenting, and then you're getting this new information in the later chapters that seems to actually contradict what you heard the first time. Earlier on, you, you have the sense that if I just do these things I'm reading here, my life is going to be on cruise control. It's going to go so well. I'm going to be amazingly blessed. And then a little later on in the book, you're told that even if you do all of those things, sometimes life's going to be a mess and out of control. And you go, what? 
And you begin to realize that what Proverbs is doing is progressively introducing you to the nuances and the layers and the colors and the creative tensions of life. And the best way to understand that is to process that with others who've experienced those things, maybe in a way you haven't, to hear their stories. And, and in that circle, we begin to understand uh, the meaning of truth and wisdom. Uh, we realize that sometimes we have to put our weight down hard on this value, and then a little later we have to put our weight down hard on the countervailing value, almost like riding a bicycle, and it's in the managing of that rhythm of life that we have the balance that allows us to move forward in a creative way. And we discover that as we process this stuff in community. Uh, so it's a basic Christian idea or a biblical idea. God made life with a warning label, not to be done alone. Genesis 2 and 18, it's not right that man should be alone. We, we grow so much wiser uh, when we do our life in a group. So if you're not part of a group, if you don't have a circle of people that you're processing your journey with, listening to theirs, studying the scriptures together, uh, find one, invite one, uh, ask for help from the church and we'll help you uh, to, to locate one. So we want to humble ourselves. We, we, we want to, to process life with others. And then our third strategy for gaining wisdom, we want to yoke ourselves with Jesus. Uh, we want to, to tie ourselves to Jesus. Now, we're out of time today, so I'm not going to be able to do justice to, to all of this. But back in Proverbs chapter 8 again, wisdom says this, I was there when he set the heavens in place when God marked out the horizon on the face of the deep and the foundations of the earth, then I was constantly at his side. I was rejoicing always in his presence and delighting in mankind. I was the workman. I was the one doing it, the act of creation. And, and if you're familiar with the Bible at all, and you read that particular text, it's starting to fire in your brain a memory of another passage you once read or heard read to you that sounded a lot like this or had echoes of the same themes, and it comes from the New Testament. It's the start of John's gospel, and it reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made, and in him was life and that life was the light of mankind. And what we discover as we, we see the continuity of the scriptures is that Jesus is not just a provocative moral teacher. Jesus is not just a very intelligent person. Jesus isn't simply the sacrificial lamb who dies on the cross to take away the sin of the world, Jesus is the one who fabricated the entire fabric of reality. He was the one that put it all together in the first place. He is the one in whom we live and move and have our being. And because of that, he is the one who sees completely how things really are, how stuff truly works, and what ought to be done to advance flourishing in every situation. He sees it all. So the term wisdom in the Old Testament and the word word 
or logos in the New Testament are speaking of the same thing, actually of the same person, they're speaking of Jesus. And so it follows that if you want wisdom, draw close to Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Uh, to be a learner is to be a disciple. They're the same word. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, and you will find rest for your souls. I think I speak for all of us when I observe. We're ready for some rest. Uh, I mean, we're, we're a, a lot of us, really ready for some rest from the foolishness of our times. You just, you know, you don't have to do it this way, but in your heart, raise your hand if you are yearning for greater wisdom in our public life today, in our own personal lives today, if you're yearning for that. You know, we're, we're out there, and we'll do it again in these next days, we, we're out there singing of our hope of America the beautiful, partly because we're worried that that beauty is being lost in our time. We keep chasing after America the prosperous, America the, the peaceful. We, we look for America the strong, or America the secure, or America the united. We yearn for the growth of America the good, or America the great. But as the story of Solomon and the history of Israel and the message of the scriptures, and especially Proverbs shows us, the best way for these kinds of dreams to come to pass and to endure in their provenance is for us to become America the wise. Individually and collectively, more wise. And so, in these days to come, here's what we can do as citizens. We can humble ourselves further. We can admit that we are not as wise as we want to be. We can find some other people to process life with and to listen deeply to them and ask God to show us what he might be trying to teach us through the way they've experienced life. And finally, we can root our lives even more deeply in Christ and dedicate ourselves to learning of him for he is wisdom in working clothes. He is God's light shining on and delighting in the potential of human life. And, and the more we learn of him, as we will in these weeks to come, the more he's going to give us the ability to see things as they truly are, to understand at a deeper level how stuff happens and works, and by the power of his spirit to know more of what to do in any given situation that will bring God greater glory, more help to others, and fulfill the potential for which you and I, and even the life of this nation, has been made. May this be so. Amen.